and welcome to the Track and Food Podcast. You're joining us on another lovely, what is it today? Sunday? Today is Sunday. Today is Sunday. Never recorded on a Sunday. It's so weird. I'm your host. All the sorts. I'm your host as always, Jamie Ma. Uh, that voice you hear right there is my co-host as always, Mickey McLeod. How are you today, Mickey? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm not hungover today. So I'm Lies. I did go out last You look time. hungover. Yeah. I look hungover? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. That's not nice of you. But you kind of always look hungover, so it's hard to judge at this point, but <laughs> you do look great as well. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, that's what I like to hear. Okay. So, uh, we have good news to say today, talk about. We do. Yeah. Tell us why. We have we're a sponsor super, now. If you can hear the pep in my voice, we're very excited yes, for we, a specific reason. We are sponsored. We are sponsored. Yes, this podcast is now sponsored and it's now brought to you by Scout Magazine. As of today, in this episode, uh, which is our 40th, we are now going to be sponsored by Scout Magazine. Uh, if you don't know anything about Scout, Scout is Vancouver's preeminent food and culture magazine. They've been in around uh, the community since 2008, run by Andrew Morrison and Michelle Spruill. Uh, if you've never checked out their work, if you're looking to learn anything about uh, that's going on in the food and culture sphere in the city, whether it's opening new restaurants, uh, community news, who's hiring, uh, Scout has all the answers that you're looking for. Do check them out. Uh, it's scoutmagazine.ca. That is scoutmagazine.ca scoutmagazine as Ooh, well. Say it twice. Wow. I know, I know. I have to say it twice. <laughs> but as well, uh, they also have a sister a sister website that they launched last year. It's called Islandus. Yes. So if you're ever on, the, on Vancouver Island, you're looking to get some community news and learn what's going out there, do check out uh, that website. It's called islandus.ca. Um, I do like it. I'm contributing to that as well. So I do contribute to both. So if you do want to see more of my work outside of this podcast, you can find a lot of stuff that I do there. I'm on Scout too. Yes. I have an article. I have. Thanks, Jamie. I got you a definitive record. Definitive records. So if you want to know what the most influential music of my youth was, you can check that out on Scout Magazine. There you go. So uh, we thank you, Scout. We thank you for this partnership. We uh, are very excited to be working with them. So uh, we're very excited for that. So that's a great thing for us today. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned... Our 40th episode. Yes. 4 zero. Yes. Wow. And what am I turning this year? You're turning 40. Mm. I'm turning 41. Yeah, so. So I'm living vicariously through you at, once again. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, that's your sh- our champagne episode. Maybe. Champagne uh, birthday. 2020, I'm turning 40. Yeah, 40, 40. Yeah, okay. weird. But it's exciting. It's but exciting. Uh, yeah, today's episode, we're very excited to bring on two uh, esteemed guests. Uh, we're excited to talk wine today. And uh, restaurant stuff. Um, one, the first one is a good friend of the podcast. His name is James Langford Smith. He is the general manager of Kisatanto in Chinatown as well as Bao Bay. Uh, if you've never been to either restaurant, I highly encourage you to check them out. They are fantastic, especially. I love going to Kisa a lot. I love that bar. That bar is so beautiful. I love just sitting there and having Chris serve me cocktails. It's a, a wonderful place. So thank you, James, for joining us today. Hello. No problems. I'm stoked to be here and stoked to be sponsored by Scout. Yes. Yeah. Andrew and Michelle are really special to me. Yeah. They, they, they believed in me, I think, before anyone else did. So I've got a lot of respect for those guys. How long have you known them? Uh, since I've been in Canada, so seven years. Seven years? Yeah, Andrew uh, helped write the Sobo cookbook, and I was lucky enough to work with Lisa Aie, and um, I got to see the whole book unfold, and so it was really special. And then Michelle was probably the smartest woman that I've ever met in my life, so I just have fun chatting with her, and she like keeps me very grounded. So yeah. they're good people. Yeah. Well, That's funny. Andrew said the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart man. You know? kiss his ass too much. Uh, just if, if you're listening and you heard a siren go by, it's because we're recording... In Chinatown, not the usual studio in Carisdale. So, yeah. in case no you're listening and you were a little freaked out, no we were safe. Today. It was just an ambulance. We're in Chinatown. So, yeah. Pete's, Pete's, Pete's here in our. In our uh, Pete's thoughts. here in spirit. Yeah. He's here in spirits. And the other person that we're bringing on today is uh, a winemaker from the Okanagan. He actually makes some delicious wine from Summerland. His name is Tyler Harlton, and he owns and is the proprietor of TH Wines. 
Uh, Tyler, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on and congratulations. Uh, I know when I come to town, I'm looking at Scout Magazine for resources and to see you guys uh, paired up with them. That's great news. I've been begging Andrew for, to do this for quite a while now, and it's, it's something that's been on my mind. And I just think the growing literally begging. And uh, I've well, yeah, I love because uh, I mean I've been working for for Scout for since 2016, and uh, they're I mean the platform's amazing. I've been reading it since when I was living in Saskatoon, but uh, I just think the growing medium of uh, podcasting and uh, you know talking to people I think is a really great thing. So I think it's going to be a great beneficial partnership for both of us. So I think it's it's exciting. Plus, we get to do stuff like this and have you guys on and drink, drink wine and beer. And I think, uh, what are we drinking today, Tyler? Uh, we're going to start out with <laughs> beer and wine today. As you know, winemakers sometimes drink a little bit of beer. And I'm in Summerland and I make uh, wine in a warehouse behind a barbed wire fence next to a car graveyard. So I'm not the conventional It's not that model. bad. It's gotten a lot. <laughs> in the seven years that I've been going down there, it's gotten a lot prettier. Yeah, James's one update was he suggested I did like plants and hang on the barbed wire. So now when you drive to the winery, you actually see plants and barbed wire. Oh, so it's a nice little addition. It's a nice, it's a nice addition. little greenery. Just and to a, interject though, Jamie, you have no plants in your apartment. I have some plants. There's a They're few. all over there. Yeah. <laughs> not that many. Yeah. I need to get more though. I, that's something I've definitely more. wanted to work on. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Sorry. Continue Tyler. I think you just wanted to talk about records now and plants. If you walk into his place, there are records and plants and he's really yeah. proud about them. I know. I books. Did, I, I did. But your book selection is a lot better than not a lot better than James's. I would just say it's different than uh, than James's. I, t- well, I try to read a lot. Last year I read thirty eight books. This year I'm trying to read forty five. So that's that's a goal. Bill Simmons, my uh, someone I, I admire a lot. He's trying to read seventy five this year. So I'm falling behind. But I, Bill Simmons. Yeah. So Bill Simmons owns The Ringer, and he's like he's kind of who we kind of inspired this podcast off. Yeah, he's like a he's sports a, uh, sports writer. Well, he's a sports he's, writer yeah, yeah, from yeah. Uh, SI years ago. No, no, from ESPN. ESPN. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then started his Grantland thing, and then. Yeah. branched off and now he does like a podcast and, he just, network. and they just oh, sold it for okay. 100, I didn't realize yeah. this. they just sold it for a hundred million dollars to Spotify yeah oh and that's okay that ties it all together <sighs> just another small independent cool thing getting bought up by fucking a big corporation <laughs> <laughs> terrible hey yeah yeah I'll take that hundred million dollars you want us yeah. you want us to Bill if you're listening you, you might be don't sell man why because <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's not Spotify's a bad thing. Gonna, yeah, but Spotify's going to take it and turn it into fucking something else. Wait, hold Spotify up. So you guys wouldn't, you wouldn't sell this podcast for $100 million? I would happily sell wow, this podcast I mean, for $100 million. Just do that <laughs> hypothetical. <laughs> totally do that. Show me the check. Anyways, TH, you <laughs> top my beer up and tell us about the sale we're drinking? So Nate has a detonate brewery across the street, and it's nice to have a brewer neighbor who's also a bit of a genius, uh, just because we can have interesting conversations about my problems and my winery problems. So if my forklift goes down or if I have a hydraulic issue or something, he's, he's the first guy that I talk to. Um, but he's also, in the same way that I'm sort of experimenting with grapes and wine a little bit, he's doing the same, way with, uh, he's doing the same thing with beer. And I think as an owner-operator with your hands on, he's really engaging in the brewing process in a very interesting way, which is ideally I'm trying to do the same thing with wine. And so sort of like kindred spirits in that regard. Okay, so I mean, this actually touches on an idea that I wanted to actually speak to you both about in the sense that like you are, you would, would you consider yourself a natural winemaker? Would I consider, consider myself a natural winemaker? I'd say not necessarily. I would say this is, I talk about my process and I talk about the end result, but I don't like to be lumped into categories. Okay. Although if you talk to my buddy on the floor, maybe he uses that term. Turning it over to you, James. Yeah, yeah, not so. I don't, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, on the floor, I guess I'd say that TH is a natural winemaker, but then I tell a story about the reason why he's making wine and natural practices is because he was broke. <laughs> when I first met him, he's literally bucketing grape juice from one barrel to another barrel. You know, he does everything by hand, picks grapes by hand, and makes 
wine and leaves it alone. So he's not inter he's not intervening with his wine. Okay. Uh, well, no, I, I I love that idea, and I mean I'm all for it. But I mean, because I think we all know that right now uh, in 2020, I mean the the concept and the term of natural wine. I mean. Oh, in our last episode, we talked about this with Peter Vanderreep. He talks about the idea of natural wine and how this has become. Basically, 10 years ago, it's kind of the new term for like cocktail culture. So natural wine is the thing, especially in restaurants where people are looking for natural wine, less intervention, stuff like this. And I bring up this idea is because uh, recently on Eater, they actually just posted a column called a wine, for the bar, uh, a wine Bar for the People. And they're talking, and the author of this, of this column that I read, and I urge anyone to read it, and we'll post it on the, when we post this episode, is the idea of how in France, the wine culture is such a, uh, a natural thing. It's such a kind of a communal thing. It's such a cafe thing. Um, and uh, whereas here in North America, especially cities like Vancouver, where it's really expensive to run wine bars and produce wine, it's kind of something that's really more difficult for us to kind of establish and develop. But what I'm curious about is you run two very successful small independent restaurants um, and then wine culture there is definitely very important. And then also you make awesome, really delicious wines coming from the Okanagan Valley. But their ethos are very similar. You're, you're trying to present something in a very simple you know, manner, and, but also something very pure, which I highly respect. But as this, this sphere has started to grow and people are starting to be more cognizant of natural wine, do you feel a certain pressure to kind of be that of that style and or to serve wines of that style? And, and I'll start with you, Tyler. Do you feel a certain pressure to make wines of that style? And even though you're saying right now that you try to have as less as little intervention as possible. Or none. He does nothing. Or none. He yeah. really does nothing. Yeah. Like do you like but is it was that something that was already born out of you yeah. going into it? Or I think how I arrived that it's a little bit different. First off, I come from a farm in Saskatchewan. Farming's my background. And if you're a farmer, you basically Put a seed in the ground, nurture it, and you want the end result to be something that hopefully gets there and you can sell it. Great. That's what you do. Um, and so for the winery in Summerland, when I started out, I didn't have equipment, but I know, but I knew where to find the great grapes. So you're basically starting with a beautiful input, minimal equipment, and you're trying to nurture it to a finish, uh, which tastes delicious. I have a bit of a like sommelier training from some time in Montreal, and so... I actually like clean wines as well. So I would say that my approach is to give you something that tastes delicious, but also something authentic. It's the same thing when I'm in the Loire, whatever, three or four years ago, go to the wine bar. You're right. There's a chalkboard and you're tasting delicious wines, but the wines to me are true to that place. And that's what I've been trying to do. And honestly, at 1300 cases, I don't have to worry about the noise around me too much. If someone wants to know about what I do, I'm just, I'm just really transparent with it. Um, but it's different from James, who actually sees people from around the world. I sort of, if you can find my winery and it's hidden behind a barbed wire fence, you probably know my story. Whereas he has to access with, with consumers in a different way and somehow tell my story. Yeah, it's, I don't even know what he says, he says about it. I say a lot of Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's yeah. hear it. <laughs> Hold on. I mean, but to touch on that, like the whole wine world in general is a joke some days because right now there's this huge pushback from BC residents about BC wine. I mean, I'm sure you get this. You guys both work in restaurants. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of the people that don't drink BC wine are people that live here. Like, oh, I don't, I don't drink BC wine. It's not good. You know, and that like breaks my heart because if anyone, you should be the, the big push for BC wine. You know, and then the other thing now that I'm noticing a lot, especially at Kisitanto, not so much at Bao Bay, but our clientele at Kisitanto is a little bit different and, you know, they're more set in their ways and they know what they like, which is fine. But a lot of them do not want natural wine. And the wine list there is in, like Layla Shea does our wine program. She's an amazing wine director and it's 99% all natural producers. We don't advertise that because a lot of 
the old school Italian winemakers and French winemakers just make wine in a natural in a natural manner anyway. So they're natural wines. And they're wines that you would recognize that people love to drink, but they're just natural wines because they're not intervented with. You know, and it's tough for me because I'm like, somebody like, oh, I want a wine, but I don't want anything that's natural or funky. I just want something that tastes like grapes. And I'm like, well, just because like... People t- say that? Really? Yeah, and it's mind-blowing. Like Tyler's wine, like you made this point yesterday, I think, or what he, Tyler did uh, pre-shift at Bal Bay on Friday. Yeah, Friday. And he was talking about the natural wine movement and the staff asked him about how his natural wine is different to somebody else's in, in BC. And he's like, it, I don't, he's like, I'm not trying to make a natural wine. I'm trying to just make a clean wine that tastes good based on the grapes that I have. You know, and I think that the natural wine movement shouldn't be that funky or faulted. It should just be wine that expresses the fruit that you're buying it from that, from that area. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I agree with you 100% on that, but I, I, what I'm starting to notice, and you're obviously touching on that right now is the idea of like how the natural wine movement is starting to have, it's, it's, the word itself is starting to mean something now. It's starting to have a connotation. It's starting to have a a certain thing. And, And, winemakers who do make wine like you said they're just clean wines it's they're starting to feel branded and stigmatized it's just like and i wrote a column about this recently because mickey here is a vegan and i like to poke fun about that all the time always every show but i wrote a column based on the idea of like if you started in vegan culture when vegan culture started back in the 1940s um and moved western western vegan culture western vegan culture basically yeah but when it really started to take prominence it grew this really uh negative stigmatized connotation because people they were like pushing against kind of the societal norm of like this and people were just rejecting it. But it really didn't start to curry favor until plant-based started to come a very popular connotation and word that's used nowadays. And nowadays people see that all the time, plant-based this, plant-based this, plant-based this. And, and vegan, totally different stigma. And so it's a completely different yeah. stigma. And so natural wine is starting to develop this certain stigma. I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing, but like you said, people come into your restaurants and like, I want a natural wine. And you're like, well, like okay, what what what? I don't know what. The, sometimes you're like, I don't even know what the hell that means. Yeah, what does that mean to you? What, what, does, what does natural wine mean to yeah. the consumer? Which is which is what I'm still trying to figure out. Yeah, exactly. Is like, it a positive or negative thing? And sometimes it's very positive, and sometimes it's very negative. Yeah. So so that was the curiosity that I was. I'm excited to talk to you both both about this because one of the things that I'm I'm look, I'm really excited about the growth of the idea of the natural wine movement that I think is a positive thing that it's doing is it's it's starting to curry favor between the connection of restaurateurs and winemakers. Whereas right now, I think in our society, we have this strong movement with um, the craft brewery industry. Whereas like craft brewery industry, there's a real connection between restaurateurs and craft and breweries. They're, they're yeah, Nate more, drives me crazy though. I love Nate and I love Detonate and I'm stoked <laughs> to support him. But holy <laughs> fuck, getting his beer delivered to the restaurant is fucking painful. And I hope he listens to this and gets a little bit more efficient with his delivery <laughs> Yeah, and the worst part is he has to text me and then I have to walk over there and visit for a uh, visit with Nathan for a little while. Hey, by the way, do you have kegs? And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> text <laughs> James doesn't, back. Yeah. Doesn't respond so to he does opinion. actually have direct connections and he's brewed with Nate and he's actually bottled with me and he's worked with Dominion Cider. So I think in that respect, you see someone who's reaching out. But again, James is part of a smaller business that's on yeah. the entrepreneurial side. Yeah. I'm the same thing. I'm, not, I'm an entrepreneurial business. Like, I have to be in the market. I met him, I was, uh, Flogging my wine, the first by hand white I did in uh, in Tofino, and just showed up at his restaurant. If you show up at someone's restaurant and you're the winemaker, I mean, you're going to have that connection. And I think you're right to point out that in the wine industry, there's there's also less of that connection. But then you have to understand the wine industry. Ninety nine percent of the wine that's made is industrial wine. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like natural wine or anything from the Okanagan. It's it's not industrial wine. Like even James and I tasted in California, where he got a lot of his wine tasting from. And in the same way that I don't love, uh, 
a massive wine fault like VA, like it smells like vinegar or there's some other fault. When we taste it in California, a lot of the expensive wineries, like you're just tasting oak. I'm like, I don't like tasting oak. That to me is not a fault, but I don't drink super oaked wines. I don't like wines with a lot of sugar in them, back added sugar. I don't wine like wines that are massively extracted. So for me as a winemaker, it's like, yeah, I just like this certain style and it happens to be more in the food world and it probably is more connected to what's going on with Europe. I mean, the reason that you made wine was you had an excess of grapes. You squish grapes, it turns into something that you can use the next year. It's like the same mm-hmm. thing with tomatoes. You can make tomato sauce. And that's the tradition of wine, but in the new world, it's just so, there's just something so weird about it. And also it's just, it's, there's just not a lot of, a lot of information education. And so people are generally buying wine from the giant factory where it may as well be vitamin water or Coca-Cola or Gatorade. Mm. But I mean, for me, this is, you know, I make a small amount and you can only take people so far and it'd be the same thing as like vegan plant-based. I mean, people have been doing that forever. I'm mm. guessing yet suddenly but now it's being it's monetized. New. But so, 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 yeah. So, but here's, here's the question is how do you change perception? How do you get people to think about things in a different way? I don't think it's changing perception. I think it's, just being hospitable and letting people have a good time in your restaurant or your winery, like telling someone that what they're doing is wrong or different or trying to convince a natural wine. Like, like perfect example is someone who doesn't like Chardonnay. Then you try and trick them to give them a Chablis, like, and then they love it. You know. So for me now, it's not about changing their perception. It's just about giving them an honest experience, and I just don't tell them. I do that all the time. Guests you know? come to the bar all the time. Like, can you, can you make me a cocktail? But uh, I don't like gin. So I'll just make a gin cocktail and I just won't tell them all night long. Yeah. Then at the end of the night, they'll see their, their bill and I'll be like, yeah, those are all. And then they'll be like, what? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. So to me, it's like, I don't want to change. I don't want to change like someone's that. perception. I just want them to have a good time. Yeah. And sometimes I open wine that I'm really excited about that I think the guest is going to like. Like, no, this is fucking terrible. It tastes like horse, like, hey, it does, doesn't taste good. I don't like it. And I'm like, well, shit. I guess it's the apothic red that I have to go get, uh, <laughs> get in the back uh, cellar. Yeah. I'm kidding. We don't have any apothic red. Someone should, someone should sell apothic. Thank, I God, thank apothic. God for that. I think, I think it would be funny to have it like, I don't know, the Bell Bay just turned 10 last Monday. You, did you come to the party, Jamie? I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. I had to work. I do apologize. And so, so there's this funny running joke. This is probably a little bit inappropriate and may have to get edited out. But a gentleman who worked there years ago would call the last like ounce of the wine bottle when you're pouring out. You know, like as a server, you always someone always leaves an ounce left in a bottle. They would call it a dick skin. And so we do dick skin shots. So you'd pour the last ounce into a shot glass and do that dick skin shot. And so at the Bow Bay 10-year party, we had a specialized menu and dick skin shots were on the menu. So you have like a one-ounce wine shot. <laughs> and I have always envisioned going into a bar and be able to order like a one-ounce apothic red shot because that, <laughs> that's as much of that wine that you ever need to drink at one time. Yeah. And it's like doing a shot of Jaeger. I don't think know? I've ever had it, actually. I've Well, first of all, I've never heard that term before. It's amazing. Why that? Where, 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 where'd they get that? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, yeah. skin is from the grape, obviously. Dick is, I don't yeah. know, leaving I, the last little bit in the <laughs> bottle. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's where it is. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. It's just, I, it was just like a term that isn't so well known in that restaurant. It's at 10 years old. Like, I don't think it, I'm the person, I think the guy's name is Brad. I don't, I don't know Brad personally who, who worked there before my time, but it's just like one of those restaurant terms that have stuck at only Bow Bay, obviously. So it's pretty funny because Tanner's like, oh, let's have these dick skins. I'm like, oh, I feel like that's things that we should not say out loud. <laughs> <laughs> dick skins for everyone. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I apologize for not making that. How was that party, anyways? It was good. It was it was hilarious. My girlfriend turned thirty the night before, so we had a a big party at my house, and then and then I went to Bow Bay and attempted to bartend, which was pretty much me getting in everybody's way and drinking wine behind the bar. But I felt safe back there. I yeah. did not get my invite, but yeah. uh, again, I probably wouldn't be able to go. But um, just start circling back on your the perception question you asked, I feel like it's the same in the cocktail world where it's like because everyone we have the internet now and everyone has their opinion on, you know, you read, you Google search Manhattan or whatever and you like read like the first thing that comes up. All of a sudden you're an expert in how Manhattans are supposed to be made. So you go to a cocktail bar and you're like, no, 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 make it with this, like this, like this. And the bartender who's been trained for, you know, however many years, 20 or 30, 20 20 or 10 or 15 years is like, well, no, like you don't do it like that. You do it like this. So it may be transferring slowly into the wine and craft beer world where all of a sudden everyone is kind of a pseudo expert because of what they've been able to research. Yeah. And you know, as we all know, or maybe you don't know, not everything on the internet is true. Yeah. So wait, what? A little, yeah. <laughs> a little information Spoilers. can be, yeah. And I think a little information can be dangerous, but I sort of, Take my cue from James, whereas he's in the business of hospitality. It's his job to make people feel good. The reason why Kizatanto is special is not, it's because of the food, it's because of the wine, but it's, it's because of the experience that they've created. Uh, and to me, like when you access a very good restaurant, you feel energy and that's what makes you feel good. And my job as a winemaker is to do, is to do what I'm doing in a way that serves my integrity, but I understand that it's probably not being recognized. 80% of the wine industry is advertising. And it's more my job is to let people access something that tastes delicious. And then from there, they can take it wherever they want. Hopefully they find that this has energy or something interesting about it in the same way that his restaurant program is interesting. But a lot of that, a lot of that is, it's just something we can't control. And, and again, for someone who really believes that wine is food. And if you believe wine is food, you wouldn't be putting shit into it. And you look around, there's like so much shitty industrial food out there. But again, that's our society and you really can't, you can't get angry. I mean, you can't, you're, I think your reaction should just be more like listening and trying to understand instead of trying to rhyme information down people. Yeah. Rather than trying to change people's perception or to change the way people think, just let them enjoy a different experience and a good time and they'll come there eventually by themselves. Yeah. You know, and that's like the yeah. the best advice I ever got from a son when I was working in the States and serving tables. I was so egotistical and always trying to sell these crazy Barolos or Brunellos that were three to four hundred dollars. That was like that would make me a, a good server. And my son was like, stop it, you're a fucking idiot. He's like, you don't know anything about these wines. You've never drank these wines. Like, just because you have an accent doesn't mean you can sell wine. He's like, sell a bowl of wine that's 60 to $80 to each table. Sell 10 a night. You've outsold your wine sales. And you're going to make real connections. And you're going to feel way better about yourself. You know, and I take that philosophy into Tyler's winery. I work in the winery quite a bit with him and in that tasting room. And some people don't like his wines, and that's okay. You don't have to like his wines, but do you like us and the brand and the story behind it? And then once you feel comfortable in a space, you know, then then you're automatically you kind of you're not being as critical, you know. So when someone's in a restaurant and feels comfortable in the restaurant and knows that I'm not going to push them into a natural wine or a wine they're not going to like, they kind of the guard gets let down. And they they're willing to have a better time in in my establishment, and that to me is what hospitality is a, really what life and relationships are about, you know. And a perfect example is Mammy Taylor's. Like we all love that place. We go there because it feels like home. 
you know, like is the food the best food in the city? Probably not. It's delicious, but it's not innovative. But Ron Oliver, you know, creates an atmosphere that we love and we feel comfortable in. And like I love eating the burger there to me is one of the better burgers in the city. But I feel so like the whole story behind that bar and that comfort is why why I go there. So that touches on something I was actually going to talk to you guys uh, afterwards is um, further on in that column that was written on Eater, uh, the author goes on and talks about the idea of, of lingering, which I thought was a really interesting word when it comes to the idea of, of hospitality and, and when it comes to wine and food and people's, what they're looking for when they go out. And what she's trying to trigger is the idea of how in European culture, it's very normal for people to just kind of have this feeling of just like passivity and just kind of relaxed. And especially with wine, I think the way wine out there is, it's just not seen as a big event. Whereas over here in in North American culture, it's it's wine culture is definitely seen as something that's a thing. It's a, it's, it's, it's kind of got a little old couture thing. And uh, whereas beer, I feel like it's got a little bit more of that passivity and more of that lingering culture that we have here. But I always thought that it was interesting. Do you guys ever want to encourage that when you have people into your in restaurants? Like, do you ever think about those ideas? Like how you want people to kind of feel a certain um, calmness? It's, I think what, you're, what I'm touching about, about this is like when I go to Mammy Taylor's, I don't go there thinking like I have a, uh, an agenda. I'm just going there to just kind of like, it's, like you said, it feels like home. And it's like, it's like that idea that I think it's this idea that people always have in their heads when they want to, when they want to always say like, I want to be a winemaker. I want to work in a vineyard. I want to do this. It has this like romantic feel to it. And I think... I think we don't exercise enough of that with wine culture here in North America. I don't think we exercise enough of that in general in Vancouver. I mean, I have, I'm, you guys can probably attest to this. Like I, I have this issue where I go to restaurants all the time, not just in the city, but anywhere. And I read the wine list and I get intimidated, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, Oh, you know, and I, and I feel like kind of nervous about what I'm going to order or like what's on the list or kind of feel lost. And when you have somebody who can guide you through that in a non-pretentious way, it's life-changing, you know, well, not life-changing, but it, it really changes your experience and you don't feel on edge, you know. And I think the most important thing to me is when people are in our restaurants or like in Tyler's winery is to be able to like try to help them feel like that and like kind of make fun of the fact that it, it's, for, it's fermented grape juice yeah. that was made by accident, you know, like their pretense behind wine needs to go away. Like wine is very important and very particular but we need for the consumer like it doesn't have to be that complex or confusing does it taste good do you like it yes let's move on and i think it's also that that's the it's the fault of the industry because wine is lucrative and so most brands it's like again how much money does coca-cola spend on marketing and how much do they spend on production they spend nothing on production and it's all in marketing and this would go for a lot of big winery brands too and so a lot of marketing is brainwashing now, you've made Malbec with me, drive out to a farm, pick organic grapes, squish them, text me later and say, how'd it go? And really, as a winemaker, a punch sounds with a hands. I'm not adding yeast. You're not adding a lot of sulfur. You're not worrying about temperature. Um, and, will, and really, wine doesn't, wine made naturally, it doesn't have these pretenses, but it just gets back to this industry that's really, it's like the food and beverage world. There's just a lot of shitty things about it. But how do you, how do you toggle that as an entrepreneur and somebody who makes wine? How do you toggle that uh, that line of like staying that line, but also realizing that you kind of have to play the game as well? You have to kind of play the game of marketing and getting yeah. it out there. I think for me that it's probably there's like the I'm I'm running a different business. The first thing is I don't have a chateau on the hill, the sort of postcard winery. I think it's, um, look to me, it's my chateau on the hill. 
<laughs> it's oh, your chateau so when you come. No. <laughs> Next to the graveyard of cars. It is your chateau, but if you don't have a lot of resources in the same way that I started without using equipment and doing everything by hand, it meant that I had to make friends with everyone because I didn't have money. So you're making friends with your neighbors, with growers, and you're really building a community. And like that's that's sort of how I got to where I am is being part of this larger community. And that's what I see is agriculture. But again, if you've got that five million dollars and you've just like plunked in the Okanagan, you buy your chateau, like you're sort of you're sort of living in a silo. Whereas so, I'm not in a silo. If I didn't have James selling my wine for me, I'd be I'd be going out of business. Or if people weren't passionate about it, or if I didn't have a wine club, I sell actually uh, a lot of wine online, like direct to consumer, and that's something I'm good at. And again, if I didn't have those people, uh, I'd be in trouble. But I needed that. No, but that's what I. The, that's I think what I'm trying to get at here is the idea of that that connection that you're talking about right now and how important your connection do you guys have here is how long have you guys been friends? Seven years. Seven years. Okay. So that connection is something that I think is a really nice to see. And I think that kind of touches on this whole idea of the natural wine movement. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you guys in that bubble, but it's, it's the connection that chefs have had with their, their growers and their, I mean, their growers and their farmers for years is that we're starting to see more of that actual one-on-one connection that small restaurateurs and small businesses. And we, like, and we're lucky here in BC. We have, we have the Okanagan Valley in our backyard. Yeah. And, and the best produce. Yeah, the best produce. And like, yeah. and the other one I was going to ask you. So I mean, you did you pick Summerland on purpose, or is that just kind of like where you found something? Um, I picked it because uh, there was a landlord there that had a really nice unit that I wanted to work with. Going on that, I mean, you've been there. How long have you been out there now? Ten years. Uh, it's been about a decade. Ten, yeah. A decade. So I'm you, like, BC wine has really started to, took off in 1990. And it's really started to come in its own, in my opinion, over the last 10 years. You're really starting to see a honing of like styles and regionalities. And um, you're starting to see specific regions and areas really kind of find their niche and grow. And, and varietals. And varietals, exactly. Like, I mean, you see the stuff that uh, the guys are doing up at Simkermesh. I mean, really, we're really starting to kind and of like, so refined now. Yeah. You know? And you're starting to really get, and that's what we're starting to, we're starting to really figure out what we're doing and doing it well. And it's, it's, uh, but it's what I've always wanted is I've wanted more of that connection is you have this great thing in our backyard, but let's like, let's find more of that connection here and that more of that harmony. And it's, 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 uh, it's cool to see. Cause I think that's something that it's been going on in the, in the beer industry for a long, long time. Like I'm good friends with the guys from strange fellows and, and good company and Parkside. And, you know, I deal with them personally. I can text them. I can talk to them. And I think that's something that we're really starting to, I think it's great for our, our industry because you feel more of a, a community and a touch and uh, a person, uh, a personality to that wine, so that way when you sell it or your server sell it at your restaurants, they have more of a, a connection. Like you, you said that he did the the uh, you did something on Friday at at, at, at Balbe. At Balbe, he did the yeah. he did the pre shift. The pre shift, yeah, yeah. Like having just been doing pre shift with me for seven years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, <laughs> having first him, ever sometimes allowed to actually be on the service floor, and that was six years ago. Well, and yeah, ne- never, never again. You know, I don't know how to. What set I'm supposed to be pouring from? Which glass? Uh, yeah. Is this a larger it's pour? You have a is the timing good? Do you have a hospitality background at all? No, I've done some <laughs> bussing and some <laughs> serving, but it's definitely not at the uh, caliber of my friend to the left, no. Oh, yeah. But I think I think the biggest thing, and like not to try and rag on our, our industry earlier, what, what I was saying is the community that we have here in BC alone and the restaurant community is so special and so unique so I think that's why we hold ourselves to such a high standard. So when there is pretense in one aspect of what we're doing, we all take it pretty personally because we're so community-based driven and it's all based on relationship, relationships. Sorry, like like you said, with Patty from Good Company or Nick Black from Strange Fellows, you know, or Tyler Houghton from TH Wines, you know? Like these people are amazing, amazing producers that we that I have or you have, Jamie, the ability to be friends with. And we get 
like the inside information. We get to try beer and and wine and produce before. Like Colonel's <clears throat> Chateau Cuisine has a really special relationship with Zachlin Farms, and we get some incredible produce from Zachlin Farms, and so does Chef Chouel. And it's like really special for me and for the front of house staff because we see this product come in and, you know, we've made heritage, they've, they've made, not not we, like the kitchen staff have made this amaz- amazing planter dish based on the, the corn that we got from this farm that they've like milled themselves. And to me, that's our community base. And if I need help in the restaurant community, like Jenna Briscoe from Cafe Medina and Robbie Kane are the first people I call. Like I feel so supported in my community here and my restaurant community, community in Vancouver, which I think is so special. Same with Nick Black. Like Nick, Nick Black is first phone call if I need a keg of beer. Yeah, you know. Oh no, my my birthday's coming up soon. I'm gonna call him and be like, "Can I get a keg, please?" Mm-hmm. So even today, he's like, "I got a case of Nocturne for you," and I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. So, but. and and that to me is super special. And I think that like you were saying, now I see more and more that happening, not just in individual communities, like just all restaurants or all wineries or all, all breweries. We're now really like reaching out to each other and really helping each other yeah. and really supporting each other and sell our product. And to have a good product that we're excited about, yeah. which is exciting. You should sell. You guys should sell Apothic for five bucks a glass. Just, just. All right, those, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna those. make a rule for the rest of this episode of this podcast, and no one's gonna say the word apothic. No, but don't even write like a detail of what wine is, and just underneath, just write it for five bucks a glass, and just say, and just say, fuck you. I can just, I can just see like Layla wanting to kill me right now. I won't ever sell Apothic Red. I promise. Since we're talking about wine, though, I've. Honestly, we've been drinking uh, this wine that you poured. I've never, ever, and I'm not, I don't consider myself to be on the level of any of you guys, but I've never tasted this specific flavor in a wine before. Is it a good thing or a it's bad a, thing? It's an amazing. I was like, where are you, I was like, where are you going there? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's great. What, which bottle is this? So this is the Apothic White. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's why I love it so much. Yeah, we did a little trick on you. We actually brought in the Apothic White just to see. No, no this like, is... It's uh, like stone fruity, but like super clean. And like, I just, I've never had this. Okay, so before you before you let him answer, I have one question for you because I've I've been check, I check, I've checking out all your wines here and all this stuff. Okay. My favorite wine region is the Loire Valley, mm-hmm. by far. Is that, you, t- you touched yeah. on it earlier, and right when you said the Loire, I was just like, my eyes popped up and I was like, oh, hello. So yeah. is that where you get a lot of your inspiration for what you do? Yeah, I think in the Loire Valley, it's, it's they make dry textured whites that are yeah. they fit fit very well with the cuisine. So that would be a center and high acid and great flavor, and you get a wide range of like all the way across the Loire. I think the Loire is the most underappreciated region in the world. It's mm-hmm. the wines are fantastic, and if anybody out there is looking to buy some great wines here in Vancouver, go buy some Loire whites or Loire reds or bubbles. You're getting something for value that is just yeah. The value is there. Fucking value is amazing compared to Burgundy. Yeah, exactly. The value is there. Yeah. The finish is so. I mean, is that what you're talking about when you say clean? Yeah. I'm not used to having a finish that's so like I'm not tasting any residual of anything else. Right. Which is what I'm used to. And I think as a winemaker, you can actually fake what the wine smells like. So if I open a wine, a natural wine, it smells reductive, like from the ferment. I'm not that worried because you can. Change of smell. And in fact, consumers love nose. So if you're an industrial wine maker, you'd basically you'd change, it, you'd change throw the in like a nose and consumers love it. But to me, you can't fake the finish of a wine. And for these whites, um, just getting back to process, we, we're even talking about beers where this beer that Nate made, it took over a year to make. Um, with white mine, with white winemaking, it's risky to do long ferments and older French oak. And so I sort of, I accept this risk of having these longer wild ferments that are uncontrolled. But then the upside of that is that we get something that has just a little more complexity to it. And, and that's my idea with these white wines is to make them just 
just a little more complex. And this happens to be um, Viognier and Roussin. And then even just, just getting back to the conversation about wine variety, I think it's important that we should have uh, people focusing on certain varieties, but then just seeing like within the cellar how much it doesn't get talked about a lot. We always, we always talk about being hands off, but like what goes on in the cellar, it actually very, it, it matters a lot to that finished wine. And in that case for me as a winemaker, I'm actually, this is my last vintage, but what I would be doing is almost going out and just doing field harvest, just getting grapes from different varieties and actually accessing a culture that's more of a permaculture system as opposed to monoculture, which is we see like a hillside is just one variety, one clone. To me, the complexity comes from the having variation. It comes from the fact that when we were making the Malbec, we're picking grapes. We're throwing in grapes. We're throwing in leaves. Mm-hmm. I throw in a lot of things. There. A lot Rose. of things. Mm-hmm. You, when, when you have <laughs> subpar uh, labor. Whoa. You basically just say, just go into that row. I'll check your bucket every five minutes because you're going to be that slow. I had a and I'll pull out the bad stuff. But, but really, how we're finding diversity in flavor, again, it's... We're not trying to start with homogenous grapes. In fact, we want to make the system as wild and complex as possible. And then with me as a winemaker, I've been able to push things in this direction. And so ideally, this does see a little bit more complexity and just something that's different, I guess. Do you grow all your own grapes? No, I actually don't do any growing. You don't do any growing I just grapes? work with three or four growers. Three or four growers? Yeah. 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 Cra- are they, crazy are they, growers. Are they all based in Summerland? Yeah. All, yeah. all of them. All in all of them? South Okanagan, actually, yeah. Um, sort of all over. And also for me, how I found grapes is I used to, I've worked at different wineries and have a farming background and I've managed vineyards. And so there's the growers that I work with every year. And then there's also the sort of in, in, in the same way within your industry, you talk to winemakers about. Uh, certain beers or certain certain things you want, or maybe you talk about staff. We have this connection with winemakers where there's maybe a winemaker at a larger winery who knows this one grower that does a very small amount of something, and that winemaker give me a text, be like, "Hey, you should you should really connect with this grower. Like, come taste the wine they made with it last year. It's good, but in your program, you'll let it shine." And so for me, that's again part of the system of uh, winemakers all kind of connected together. Uh, to make beautiful wine because in the Okanagan, every time a a crappy bottle of wine leaves the Okanagan and a consumer accesses it somewhere else, it makes our industry look bad. And so whether you're a small winery or a large winery, there's a lot of us working together just to make a better product. It's, it's in, really, in the same way as like your hospitality business where someone has, someone flies in from Los Angeles or, or somewhere else and they have a bad experience here on a place that's been written up. Well, it kind of makes everyone look bad because yeah. you care about not just your business, oh, representing but the, the culture. Yeah, but right. it's really special down in the Okanagan. I've been going down there a lot <clears throat> over the last seven years. At first, because me and Th wanted to do these side projects and to try and work together, and now just because he's my best mate, so I want to go and hang out with him. And the community there and how they all help each other out—it's very similar to the community here in Vancouver, and it's so inspiring. Like they all buy grapes from these growers that like growers don't get enough credit in my opinion in the Okanagan. There's some amazing farmers and amazing growers that sell their fruit to people like Tyler and Mike from Sunday in August, you know, and they're doing like some amazing things and it's all biodynamic and organic, but they're not certified because it's too fucking expensive and it's a bit of a wink. So it's pretty special to like see those growers and they get the ability to go to those farms and to pick fruit and to see this wild fruit. And I picked fruit in Germany, France and California and some of the fruit I picked in the Okanagan, in my opinion, is just as good, if not better, quality. Why is that? Just because it looks healthier. You know, the growing season's shorter, but and it's more wild. Like that Malbec that we picked, I've never seen. I've never seen grapes grow like that ever. Huh. 
and I picked grapes in Bordeaux and on the Moselle in Germany. And they were very ref- they were, the grapes are very healthy and you know really. You picked old, in, uh, you picked in Mosel Valley. Yeah, you did all up those cliffs. Yeah, well, oh, badly. Yeah, it's Sprachen kein Deutsch und Bier. You know, fuck, I would love to do that. Yeah, it was a fun experience. I used to live and work in California and. The owners of that restaurant were really good to me, and they really pushed my wine education. and uh, And Denise, the woman who runs the business, she's from Germany, so we went to Germany together and did a little wine harvest tour, which was, you know, I was twenty years old at the time, so I had a lot of fun. Is that all the German you can speak? Yeah, that's about it. That's all the polite German I can speak. Yeah. I think I'm trying to learn both of the restaurant managers at Baobay and Casatanto are both German, so I'm trying to practice my German. Yeah. yeah, you got to learn a couple of slang words in there for sure. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have how much? How much? How much control do you have with your growers? Do you have like a pretty good connection with them? Like, or are you? Yeah, I have a pretty good connection. So at the start, I was probably uh, a little bit more involved than I needed to be. Um, I'm not a trained winemaker, so everything I, it's everything's I've had to learn these past ten years. At the very start, I was maybe in the vineyard and asking more of them. Whereas I realize now that farmer who's in his backyard knows way more than I do. And so really it's just having, it's basically just checking in, just having a conversation uh, and trusting them because they ultimately get now. It's like, yeah, I pay well, I'm a little bit more demanding, but ultimately they get to see their product end up in a bottle um, and deal with someone who respects them. And, and so for me, I'm probably backing off more and more. And then also just as a winemaker, realizing that we like to have talking points, like for instance, oh, this Pinot Noir, the vineyard, it was only 1.3 tons an acre. Well, the farmer's not making money off of that. And then if you have these two wines, this idea of we endured this hardship makes the wine better. Like to me, the proof is in the pudding. You start to taste these and you're like, well, okay, like I get how consumers love what you tell them about this wine, but is it better? Not necessarily. And in fact, that grower probably wants to grow a little bit more, in which case make, you know. And and what you're saying is right. Actually, farmers, they don't get the credit. Farmers don't want the credit. They want to be in the background. No, they don't want the credit at all. <laughs> um, how? Okay, so you've been out there for 10 years. I have two questions for you. One, anybody out there that's probably listening to this, because I would definitely be one of those people probably six, seven years ago when I was doing a lot of my wine training, um, was at one point that I thought about wanting to become a winemaker. If anybody out there is listening and is curious to get into it, A, are they stupid for wanting to do that? Because it sounds like, how much experience did you have going into this being a winemaker? None, none. Like, did you worked? <laughs> had you worked in a winery at all? Never. No. So where did you? Where That's did you, a like, lie. Where, you, you, you didn't just open a winery. You were working at wineries before. Yeah, I had so so about a uh, about a decade ago. I'd actually uh, I'd graduated from law school in Montreal, and I started bar school in Vancouver. I think I was going to be a lawyer, and about five weeks in. Uh, I realized I wasn't cut out for it. But while I was in Montreal, I'd done some studying at uh, ETHQ, like some sommelier training. And yeah. so I knew about a soy rose. So uh, in a week period, it was like five weeks into bar school, an assignment got handed out. Everyone was texting their wives and girlfriends like, hey, I won't see it for 50 hours because that's what lawyers do. And I was like, man, I'm not cut out for this. So then I just rented a car, drove to the Okanagan, got a job picking grapes at a soy rose. Um, and the winemaker there, you saw I was super passionate about the work and then he brought me into the cellar. And so I've actually have worked for some other wineries. I don't have any formal training training. Okay. Uh, but I've done a lot of fermenting and that includes like fermenting apples and pears and, and beer. And beer and yeah. So you've obviously yeah. played around with it a little bit. No, cause that yeah. was always the thing for me. I'm just like, Oh, I could totally do this. I want to just go to Yoganog and learn how to become a winemaker. But it's like, you could it, totally do it. It just it's sounds really, very, it sounds very 
daunting. But I think once you have a little bit of hands-on experience and you kind of got your hands in it, it's probably not as hard as yeah. you think it is. But it well, was, yeah, it's the really tough. For somebody, I like to claim that I make a lot of wine with TH. I make zero wine. I pick grapes and fuck around in his winery, then claim that we made that wine together. Um, it's a it's it's pretty impressive how organized. I think organization with in anything is key, but how organized he is as a winemaker and how clean he is, you know, and and precise. Like you have to. There, there's a huge skill set there, which I think we take for granted sometimes on our hospitality side. But and I mean, I, how much of the chemistry have you had to like kind of get learn and all that stuff? For me, it's just if it's if it's your business and your back's against the wall, you just learn really fast, mm-hmm. and that's the catch. I mean. It's kind of like any business. Like you really have to be the one that's tasting because if you screw up, do, do, do you have any horror stories of like really fucking up? You know what? I actually uh, again knock on wood. It's been good. No, it. it I think the lesson I've learned it gets back to leaving growers alone is that if you start with beautiful grapes, more or less, if you don't screw that up, it's going to turn into a beautiful wine, uh-huh. and that's like the key. And it's the same thing with like chef in a kitchen. And I think the uh, I think the I think the winemaking world is really there's a lot of uh, subpar grapes coming into industrial wineries that are unhealthy, and that's when you have to do all this winemaking. Mm. And I found that I've gotten away with it. Yeah, like some of the wines are weird. Like this already what would that smells rose- and tastes delicious. But I had a, I made a rosé in two thousand seventeen. Two years ago, remember? Yeah, yeah, two thousand seventeen, and it was a delicious wine, but the nose was really reductive, and it took about like super, seventeen super months to come around. And again, as a winemaker, as that wine's being made, I'm tasting this note and there's certain actions I'll take. I'll introduce a bit of air and somehow it's going to blow off, but I won't go as far in that direction of trying to it fix was, it. It was the most nervous. So I guess I've actually had a lot of screw-ups, but then people don't tell me till after that. <laughs> it was the most nervous I think I've ever <laughs> seen TH. At this stage, it was 17? It was the 17, Rosé. And it was fucking delicious. Like It tasted unbelievable. But it smelt so reductive, and all of these wines, when they're pretty new, have that reductive nose. So explain that to anyone that there doesn't know what reductive means. Oh, I mean, that's a th question. It's sort of just the abs. Like, like to me, um, as far as the winemaker, there are smells during a ferment, and maybe that ferment is not that happy. An unhappy a ferment can be unhappy because, uh, well, this is the whole reason that you want to manipulate everything is because you don't want reduction. So you're going to choose. You're going to. The juice is going to come in. You're going to alter the juice. You're going to choose a yeast. You're going to choose nutrients. And you're ultimately going to try to uh, nip that in the bud, this smell, which is a byproduct of ferment. Whereas my approach to this, it's it's almost just the absence of fruit. It's like um, if you pour a wine, it smells maybe a little stinky or a little H2S. And you basically uh, aerate your glass and then you'll get to the fruit. And And to me, it's just... That's what a ferment smells so like. So what does reductiveness smell like? Like what is that reductive smell description, would you say? Like sulfur. Yeah. Sulfur a little Which bit. Which is hilarious because he doesn't put any sulfur in it, or very little sulfur in his wines. But that's a byproduct of ferment- exactly. fermentation. Exactly. exactly. Parts, basically. Yeah. Exactly. So all that, was, that was kind of the word I was getting to yeah. for. I was, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for one of you guys to yeah. say it. Yeah. But, I think funk, funky is the right word. Yeah. Funky. But this, but this, <laughs> tootie. Tootie. I like that. That's a tootie nose. We're, the scout, no, we're not this. supposed to have make fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> whatever but this but, no, but normally after like three months a lot of the reductiveness in his wines in my experience of the seven years it, it really mellows out and blows off and I'd, i was flying that year I, was, I flew down there probably once a month i think 
and we'll try the rosé every month and and we normally try it late late at night after a few drinks and i'm like yeah it doesn't smell fuck it still <laughs> smells terrible you know and the wine was tasting really good and getting better and better and he's like do you think you can sell this i'm like no fucking way dude like like I, like I love you but there's no way that if i pull this out to a guest they're gonna be like oh you know it smells like farts so interesting because in the beer world that's like a badge of honor almost like how <laughs> like for gozes and stuff like that it's like yeah. how funky can your beer smell interesting yeah well i mean the guys from i mean the sunday in august i've had some other wines and they've they've go they've push it on the funk um, yeah. i did a wine tasting for the people that hold it all which is like one of the yeah really i did a i did a event with them with yeah that, so they're, they're like yeah. the holding company for lululemon i did an event for them and they're lovely I've good people couple, great people i've done a couple of events for them and I brought in a bottle of the Sunday in August, the Pinot Gris, and I brought it in. And like, I love it. I love the funk and I love all that, all that extractive flavor and all that kind of uniqueness. Yeah, it's of it. delicious. It's great wine. It's very popular and it's really starting to pick up. And they, they had a great, I know he sold a lot of it last summer. And um, so I'm serving it to all these people. And a lot of them don't know much about wine, but I gave it to a lot of them. And a lot of them, like I'd say half the room was like gung-ho, loved it. And the other half was like, I, I think this wine, I think it's off. Doesn't smell good. Like, and I'm like, no, that's actually just kind of the style. That's what they're going for. But it's kind of like what you're touching on with beer. It's kind of like it's, some people just want to push, 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 and they want to kind of go. Yeah, for but it. like if you're if you're gonna be having a glass of wine or a glass of beer or whatever, the smell isn't like like it's not the whole picture. Like you but can it taste huge, it at least. Yeah. Right? But it smells a huge part of it. I don't right? know. Like I don't want my my food to smell like farts. Well, food, yeah, I guess it's kind of similar. <laughs> I know, know, but like, like, I, don't I, bl- like I don't blame the consumer at all when they're like, yeah, like yeah. I'm sent. I doesn't bother me whatsoever. I drink mostly TH wine, so I'm very used to it. But yeah. I, I see where they're coming from. That's why, like, I I try like for the most part, especially with him. I like, can I sell this? And like, I have two very different consumers. The consumer at Balbay is very, very, very different to, to the consumer at KT. So it's fun for me. To be like, yeah, I can't sell this at Kisitanto, but I can for sure at Balbay or vice versa. You know, and like, I try to not be biased and go in there and be like yeah this wine's delicious but i can't sell it and at the end of the day i'm in a business to make money like if i have like his wine could be the best wine in my opinion in the world but if no one buys his wine or buys into what he's doing or my staff don't like it then i can't put it on the list come on man if you're in the business of making money that apothic will sell It'll just, <laughs> no, but i'm what did i say I, <laughs> I have i do have integrity and morals and i won't i won't support a large corporation uh that's fair enough well, I, it's interesting um, to dial back a little bit to, it's kind of like the restaurant industry and the, it seems like the wine and beer making industry is kind of a microcosm of like what's happening in society in general. There's like this sort of like tightrope act between like growth as a company and like success or perceived success we have in society, which is essentially wealth accumulation. And then like really good products, right? Like really great wine, really great beer, really great food. So it's this weird back and forth that you have to sort of like balance between if you're sort of an independent person trying yeah. to make it you know be successful be able to pay your fucking bills and employ people if you have to yeah and, and i think especially like selling out essentially well yeah and that's the problem with with vancouver and and just how difficult this market is like you're competing against billion dollar chain restaurants yeah that yeah. Keeps yeah. throwing that is, money that is, and advertising until that is infinity. Com- and, yeah. and that's the and thing you like, can't live in the world of barter like you can't it, it can't be like with all the regulations it can't be like we're in the loire in little town and someone just drops off some cheese or someone drops off some wine it's just it's really not that world and it's and as you as a front line like it's just it's a really difficult position yeah and that's the thing is like i'm sure a lot of people will listen to this and be like i don't believe you but hand of my heart 
Balbay and Kisitanto have never advertised or paid for an av- advertisement ever. We have we 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 pay Tristan, who does our social media, who does an amazing job. She is Craig Sangetta's wife. Craig Sangetta owns Sevilla Volpe, which is one of our competitors. But that's how our how strong our community is, and a good friend of mine and and Tanis Joanna Lens. TH has never given me a discount on any of his wines. No matter how my whole staff go down to Summerland every year and bottle wine with Tyler, he doesn't discount his wine. He doesn't. He's just like we have integrity. We're doing these things. We're just going to do these things properly, and hopefully the market will accept them. You know. So to me, it's really special when you see independent businesses being successful. And KT and Balbay have been very successful, as has his his wine brand. Because we're honest and we stand by what we're doing. And Cactus Club, Joey's and Earl's, I love those restaurants. They're really smart. They're smart business people. And I have no disrespect to what they're doing. Would I ever do the things they're doing? No, not in 100 years. But do I respect them? 100%. You know, and they spend money on marketing and and other things, which to me is really smart because they capture an audience that I don't want to capture and that I never will capture. Well, it's funny because I was actually listening to uh, an episode of uh, Bill Simmons' podcast this morning, and he had on a guest. His name is Ben Thompson. I've written about, uh, written some of, uh, alluded to some of uh, Ben Thompson's stuff before because I think Ben Thompson's probably the best tech writer in the world, and I I, I subscribe to his newsletter. And he, they were talking about the idea of how Netflix is starting to become uh, a, a talking point for people, where it's no longer about what's on Netflix; it's just that it's there. And what I find, it, no, it really is. It's like it's like the case. Okay, so, prime example, like when people go and they want to watch TV, and they're like, "I want to watch something." Like, prime, I love HBO. When I go on and watch something on HBO, I'm like, "I'm going on HBO right now to watch Bill Maher." That's why I go to HBO. Whereas nowadays, people just throw on Netflix and they don't really like. Yes, there's certain shows on there that people are really driven by, but now it's just like Netflix is on. I'll just watch whatever. And what you're whatever talk- the company is telling me to watch, suggesting in air quotes. But but what you're talking about, the idea with Cactus Club, Earls, and Joey's, is what they're doing is they're trying to make it so easy for the consumer. We are to think, but they don't have to think exactly. And that, but I kind, I'm I'm very much in vain with you. I love Earls. I'm I'm not a really big fan of Cactus Club or Joey's, but I just like the, I like probably because I worked at Earls. It's probably why I have an affinity for it. <laughs> My girlfriend worked at Earls, and she yeah. and the Earls girls. Yeah, Earl's. they like. The, <laughs> I love the, have, I, I love the ribs. The ribs are like a so cult. You, you Earls people are like a yeah. cult that love Earls all the time. Yeah. I'm more of a cactus guy. Sure, I I'm like a, the people behind Cactus Club. I I into the, like I transparency when I left Tafina to come. The KT, I was offered two jobs, one at Cactus Club and one at Kisitanto, and I and I took the KT job, and I I was super impressed with the integrity of how Cactus ran their operations. Yeah. And it's great people that work there, and and I'm not shitting on that company at all. I mean, to be that successful and to do what they do and to get that many people really care about your business is fantastic. I and there's a lot of smart people there. I love Jason Yamasaki, and he works for Joey's. Yeah, like I love, I like, and, probably, are, they, and he's probably yeah, the smartest the professional. Yeah, yeah. and he's, he's probably the smartest wine person yeah. in the city. I think his wife Jenna's close second, but yeah. but Jason's probably like when you hear him talk. Well, about, I think I think Mark Shipway might give him a yeah, that, his money on that. that that's fair, but when you hear Jason talk about wine, to me is like. He's so educated and very humble in his delivery, and that yeah. and that's what I respect in the wine world personally. Yeah. So what I was trying to get at with that idea is that they make it so easy, and I think sometimes that young or independent restaurateurs could probably learn a thing from these brands. Is the idea of like sometimes we go into it and we have an idea of what we want to do, and sometimes you have to figure out what you want to do, but also what does the consumer want? And what these chains have done is to say we just want to give you what you want. You want plant based? Plant based on the menu. 
You want pizza? Whole, you want, that was you, at Cactus Club, sort of cut you off yeah. on a, a Tinder date. This is like two on months. On a Tinder three, date? Yeah, three months ago. How'd it, how'd it go? I don't want to even get into online <laughs> dating. I just don't want to get into Animal it. Worms. I got lots to say, but not on this podcast. Worms. But I turned, I was the, the woman I was on a date with, well, she wasn't uh, even a vegetarian or vegan or anything. She was a complete carnivore meat eater. And like every day, oh, all devil. day, all day. So she was like, you're a vegan. I don't put on my profile anymore because someone told me once upon a time, like I don't put meat eater on my profile. And I was like, huh, that's a really interesting point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we were at Cat's Club. This is, I know, this is November. And uh, uh, she's like, yeah, you probably can't get anything on the menu. And I'm like, what are you talking about? There's an entire page really? of plant-based. So you flip and then Cat's Club has an entire like eight dishes, not just like appetizers, eight entrees that are yeah. plant-based. And she was like, huh. I'm like, yeah. yeah. The thing. <laughs> no, but I mean, but think about that. Think how smart that is. They're so smart. smart. Exactly. What I'm saying yeah. is, like, as a business entrepreneur, and like you're a small business, and you want to just drive people to your company, it's like you realize that this is going on right now. This is happening. Cell based meat, plant based meat, are driving forces of things right now. Like that's where people are going. It's like fuck it. They they don't care. They're just like we're putting it on. And so, like, to touch on this, we just started doing this at Kisitanto, which. I'm into minds about. <laughs> at the end of the day, you're all tennis and lane. Uh, my closest friends, I love them. They tell me what to do and I follow them blindly. And I'm really passionate about what we do every day. If you look at our Instagram, we've just started advertising that we do cater to vegans. We have some very strict rules. But we, we will cater to vegans all the time if you just come in. And we'll, we have a vegan pasta and we have dishes that can be modified. Yeah, yeah. But now we have decided to advertise, which has been actually really well received. It's been a little bit tough for us on the admin side to coordinate this. But if you give us a week's notice, we'll cook of a three to four course of vegan tasting menu for you that Chef Joel or Chef Colin will go out to market and spend a week on. And honestly, we had two people come in last night and do it and it's fucking incredible. Like mind blowing. It's not That's cheap. Crazy. It's 80 bucks a head, mm-hmm. but and you leave yourself in our hands and they will cater to a vegan tasting menu. We have three next week, which is pretty exciting. Wow. If you give me 24 hours notice, we will always make you an off menu vegan main. So the better question is, is are you finding that you have people asking for that now? Yeah, a lot, a lot more. And the fact is like, we've, we've always done this. We just have never advertised it before. And so this last week or two weeks ago on social media, we put it out there and it was on our story. I don't have Instagram, so I have to like live vicariously through TH or my girlfriend to be like, how do I... Mickey doesn't have it Good either. for you, yeah. to get it. How, how do, how do I see what's going on? <laughs> but I deal a lot, I deal directly with our social media team. We have a group chat that we all talk into and, and I voice my opinion being like, I'd rather not advertise, I'd rather just do it to the people that we know that love our restaurant because we've gotten a lot of requests from people that normally wouldn't eat at Kisitanto but now want to eat at Kisitanto because we offer... A, a plant-based or vegan menu. Um, but it's been really incredible. And to honestly, to see how inspired my chef de cuisine is about cooking this food. Like he made a vegan cheesecake last night that me and Tannis ate and were blown away. Like, like it was probably vegan? the best cheesecake I've eaten in a long time. And I love plant-based food, but it's when you're trying to do Japanese Italian the vegan side can get lost sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. now we're like, Absolutely. I think uh, you should come in and do this tasting menu because it, it's, I'm kind of jealous. I will. I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea. No, he should I do totally this will. with a date, a Tinder yeah, date. With a Tinder date. Yeah. Who, or on Bumble pro- or yeah. Hinge or one of them. Which one's the best of the three? Uh, I'm not, we're not going to get into you. I've least, already derailed this conversation with my veganism what's your for least, too long. What, what's your least favorite of the three? Hinge is the one I think, for anyone listening who wants to get into the world of online dating, I highly do not recommend that you do because it's soul crushing. And, uh, but Hinge is the best one, I think, because you can actually like comment on, it's kind of like what you're talking about with the, 
you don't want to think. People want to, don't want to make decisions. They want the people uh, in tr- like that they're going to, the Cactus Club or the Netflix, to make decisions for them. It's yeah. kind of the same thing in the dating world. You want to. It's like this stimulation with your brain where you're swiping left or swiping right. So it's like you're like, oh yeah, no, yeah, yeah, and it's like it it basically it entertains you for a brief moment in time. But Hinge, you actually can't just swipe left or right. You actually have to leave a comment. So it's makes your brain think more, yeah, I guess. Is that better or worse? I don't know. <laughs> so I'll get my, back to you. My, my next question is, who here hasn't, like, who here has done online dating? And how, I, I have not. Currently yeah. am. You've never, you've never gone on, like, an online no. date? No. CH? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I haven't. I, I, really, I really want to, though. I, like, I, really, I really want... Oh, come on, Gene. I'm being serious. I want to go it's on, like, a... 2020, guys. I want, I've been on blind dates before, but I've never gone on a... I've been in pretty long-term relationships the last... Six, seven years. I don't need two girls ask me out, so it's <laughs> so humble. Jamie Ma just turns forty this year. Like, did you know he read thirty nine books last year? Yeah, I just want to clarify that. For you know what? <laughs> like, thirty eight. Sorry. The only thing I know, I feel like he failed because his goal was forty. It was so, forty. It was so, forty. I thought I heard four hundred actually when I listened to that, and I was just like, wow. Four short of 400, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, I mean what, 40 so. I mean, there's two ways. They're children's stories, but they still There's two ways you can do things in life. You can be modest or you can be an asshole. I'd rather be an asshole. All right, fair so, enough. Just, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I didn't hire Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the other question I'm curious about, and I'm, I'm, I'm checking out your wines right now, uh, Tyler. Is there a wine, do you ever feel a certain pressure to like have one wine that like you know is like going to be your bread, bread and butter? Uh no no okay cool no and and I mean like there's years where the rose is really popular but there'll be a year where I just don't make it okay just because I yeah. don't want to make something you just go through the wines for people yeah to see? well I mean he's got like Viognier Roussin he's got the Cap Franc which I love I mean I think Cap Franc should be the grape rattle for the Okanagan Valley you should try the the 2019 Malbec which you can only now buy at Balbay <laughs> if that's correct Tyler nice little plug there I like okay. that. um. It's insane. That, I mean, I'm obviously biased that that fruit is incredible from that girl that we picked at, but that wine, I think, uh, what do you think? That wine right now isn't pretty incredible. Out of all the wines that you've produced, yeah, I think that's probably one of the most... It's delicious and it's just different too. And it's a very light style something Malbec. that's a little bit different is more interesting. And even like this, so this is my last vintage. And so I'm actually doing some exceptional things this year that I wouldn't normally do. I, I did a couple of uh, blends, a by-hand red, a by-hand white. Uh, but generally speaking, what I do is for reds, I'm trying to make almost Loire reds where they're delicious, they're juicy, they're not super boozy, they're not tannic. Like, that's the style I like. And you can, it turns out, and what's interesting with a Malbec, Malbec would be like a Bordeaux grape. Bordeaux would be a certain style, or maybe there's a certain style we're seeing in South America. But you can take this grape that has this, a bigger, heavier style and make it brighter. And so for me, I'm trying to make bright reds, which, and the vehicle for the bright red, it can be Merlot, it can be Cap Franc, it can be Malbec. So you change every year. It's not really, it's not always really Pinot and Cap Franc. Pinot and Cap Franc? Okay, cool. I don't see any Pinot here, but. Um, you can also get it's that sold Pinot out. It's sold out. Yeah, it's sold out. Okay, cool. Yeah, because um, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, a Sansa Rouge, I mean, that's right up my alley, right? Like, yeah. it's like that bright Pinot kind of cherry flavor I love. I mean, yeah, that's 2000, we drank a 2014 Pinot of yours. When was that? Maybe in last time you were here? And it's. Unreal. I mean, I'm obviously extremely biased. And it's also like, if you think about wine as food pairing wines, the idea that you wouldn't want something that's oaky or sweet or Mm. super tannic and extracted. And I mean, and that's why with the food, it works well with all that food. Because again... With the food that we do at the restaurants that I get to work at. But also like the best thing for me is sometimes I'll pour out... we, We have Tyler's wine by the glass at both establishments. And 
I'll be like, look, I'm excited about this. Never tell them it's from BC because there's this weird hate for BC wine, which needs to go. Away. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's that problem? Oh, I mean, I get people, it. Do you I, get that at the hotel? Uh, sometimes, but it's it's weirdly you say that because it's only people from BC. It's only from, and that's the thing that really bothers me because I love British Columbians, and BC to me is one of the, my favorite places in the world I've ever lived in. And you guys are so passionate about craft beer and about everything else that's from this market, but to get a BC person to be like all brought into the wine industry here is just they just. I think a lot of it's also cost. I think it's what it really costs. Yeah, one hundred percent. And it's, it's expensive I think it's because BC wine is expensive. But the only people that really like pioneer BC wine are people that work in the BC wine industry. I just would really like the BC wine thing to stop. Like Scout Vineyard, the guy that Aaron and the wines that they're making. Have you had their wines? I have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, like I was touching on that earlier. I mean, like there's a lot of great. I mean, you could probably touch on this even more than I can for sure because you live out there. But I mean, the community of winemakers and and uh, obviously growers out there in the community of the Okanagan Valley is you've probably seen how much of it has changed the last ten years. And it's changed a ton. And I think what's what's happening is like people are coming in. So uh, Sean Dalton, who used to work for me, used to import my wine in Saskatchewan. He had a crazy importation program in, in Regina. Incredible, yeah. like yeah. being at this party in Saskatchewan Regina, boy. Yeah. And just tasting all these. You re- should meet him. He should be on this podcast. He's a good dude. Have you met Sean from uh, Merrill Vermouth? Anyway, so his current project is Merrill Vermouth, and he's doing something that's delicious. He's taking an old world tradition, bringing it here, and giving people something that just tastes good. And invariably, if you're sort of in that um, entrepreneurial period of your life, like you're reaching out to meet people and you're trying things, and that's definitely happening in Okanagan, but it's not exclusively wine. It really does get across to. Nate, who's brewing across the street, or and Jordan or, and Taylor, like yeah, exactly. Uh, Lightning Rock, and Jordan and Taylor amazing. from where? Tyler, sorry, Jordan and Tyler from Lightning Rock. From Lightning Rock, oh yeah, Lightning yeah. Rock Winery, yeah. and and then even for me, it also extends to the growers. And there's a great farmer I know, Jordan Marr. Like there's just it's really the wine is part of the food tradition, and if it's part of the food tradition, then wine should be connected to all these things. Wine shouldn't be in a silo. It just gets back to it gets back to this this idea that this. Fine dining, like fine wine, is like part of a style, but it's not. Yeah. No, it's just, it shouldn't be this thing. And it's exciting to see the consumer for me, like now, is the consumer really cares about the background and the story. And I have no formal training in anything apart from wine, which I don't think I kind of cheated in my wine training because my girlfriend was teaching the course and I was, and she was a winemaker. But I still pass my ISG, so like I'll take it, you know. But it's now people really want that that knowledge, and they want to know where the food comes from or where the wine comes from, and they they buy into the story. Yeah. And when you have people that are stoked about their community, and you get really excited about teaching and telling that story, that's the biggest thing for me. Is I'm so excited to share about our local farmers and wineries and and breweries in BC. And I'm, I want to share that story. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's exactly what I think I was hoping to kind of encourage for this conversation today is, is that that grouping of how you tell a story, whether you're at a restaurant or you're a winemaker, it's just finding a way to navigate that and give something for the guests to come in and touch on. And you touched on it earlier about Mammy Taylor's. You know I mean, there's the story there. There's something that they just do there that really we, we've been able to connect to. And that's what people f- probably feel about your restaurants and with your wines. And that's what you're looking for. You're just trying to tell a story because people love that. People want something to connect to. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting the wine industry to do more of that. I, my personal opinion, I would love for a lot of the independent wineries to develop wine tasting rooms here in, in Vancouver, just like how there's, you know, 
I would love it where like, how you know, vi- like how close are we to that? I think we're a lot closer than you think. I really? think like I think I, we have some amazing strong women in the wine industry right now that are really killing it and pushing it, like Kelsey Jones, Jenna Briscoe, and Maud. They're really the forefront, in my opinion, to making sure that we the wine pop ups and the wine bars and the, the wine events that are happening right now. I mean, Curtis Cole, Jeff yeah, Curry, Curtis Cole, top Curtis drop, Co- obviously. Yeah, Curtis Cole needs a lot. year. He needs uh, a lot. Yeah, right? Curtis has mentored a lot of these people yeah. into getting to where they are. And Curtis is a good friend and a mentor of Tyler's Love as well. And, and Jeff as well. Jeff is unreal. And Curtis has been on the podcast. Yeah. But to me, it's like, it's really inspiring to see. My colleagues and my peers, who I respect so much, doing these really fun pop-up wine events. You know, we went to a wine event together at Olivia. Yeah, you know, and uh, it was and it, it was great. And you were tasting um, all BC wines, rigor and whimsy, like neighbors and friends. And it's amazing to mm-hmm. be um, on the drive and, and having access and people having access to this. But I mean, think about it, like what I would like to see is like you know, like in Vancouver, like if in the summertime, you I would tell me me and Mickey. Yeah, you check out like a brick and mortar, brick and mortar. Like yeah. where we would say, I'd say like let's. I was like, hey, let's go, let's go hit up Brass Neck, let's go hit up Thirty Three Acres, let's go hit up Strange Fellows, let's go hit up. Um, off the rail and let's go hit all these places. I would like to say, let's go hit up TH Wines in in Vancouver. Let's go hit up, you know, like let's go hit up Synchromesh. Let's go hit up a Sunday in August. Let's go like, I'd love, or if they're all in one space. Yeah, well, Mickey, then you was, permanent, you, permanent tasting room. Yeah. Mickey was I don't talking. know if you have enough wine to do it. <laughs> That's the problem. That it's also, yeah, you. but it, like it, this, it, it, it goes back to our conversation where if this is Portland, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. You really are walking into garage and you're trying wines from different places. Yeah. And, and I think it's just Canadian the Canadian bureaucracy thing stops us from doing that, but that's exactly what it should be like. You should yeah. be able to get off a cruise ship and just like, okay, like walk down Main Street and access like some of these delicious flavors, and but it's and not have to drink like like J. Lore. It's like, yeah, you don't come here from a way to drink J. Lore, right? No. Or the other one that we're not allowed to uh, mention anymore. Yeah, I'll Thank say it right now. Thank you. Fuck you, Apothe. Well, exactly, and that's they're trying. It goes back to them wanting to maximize uh, the accumulation of of wealth. And monetize everything they can, right? And so that goes against what they would want to happen because if if it was that like loosey goosey and like, like a co-op and cool and like co-op, yeah. then they wouldn't be able to maximize the monetary gain from it. So it's yeah. a but shame. The, but the beer industry yeah. is changing that because they've just started yeah. that shared brewery space. Yeah, you know, collaboration brewing. Yeah, what's that called again? Uh, Craft Collective. Where is that again? Uh, just uh, basically like two blocks from Strange Fellows, right on. You know, there's a dog down there. Yeah, Cl- right can off you, Clark. Can you go there and taste beer? Well, they, no, that, it's, that's, it's the that, whole. That's where they brew everything. That's what the contract that's where brewing. Yeah, everything. contract brewing. Okay. Um, Shadow Brands. Um, we just opened our third one, but uh, to me, that just seems like as much pushback as the brick and mortar brewery community is giving. It just yeah. seems like a no brainer to want to like, so collaborate you, with people and like. But I think and that's, that's, how, that's yeah. where that's where good ideas come that's from. Is from how, collaboration. That's how things improve. Exactly. But, how, but how how are they getting so much flack for that when he doesn't even own a winery? I mean, like he just he just he buys all his wines. I don't know, man. Grapes. I think it's maybe brainwashing. It's just, it's you know? such a weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, who gives a shit if you're? No, but when we sit down and talk about it like this, we're like, yeah, any normal fucking human being is like, this is a good idea. But it's this it's, is going to drive creativity and like give us better shit. But the collective consciousness of society we live in is like, let's go to Cactus Club. Well, but right? change change is tough, man. Like change is is threatening and tough. And when you change. A business model, and you don't know where that model has been in the market before. You get scared, yeah. And so that's that's what it's just fear. It's people being scared that that could ruin their business because it hasn't happened here yet. So like Uber is a perfect fucking example. Oh, that was f- a fun two years, yeah. three years, How long five years, five man. years, five like, years. Wow, five years. I kind of blocked it on my 
memory. But that that it's just fear. It's like the, the fear of this happening, and rather than be like, that's the sad thing about it. Is like, okay, we can't you can't control like what I was saying before. I can't control what happens outside my restaurants. I have no control over that. I can control what I do. So rather than freak out and be bitter and angry about something that's ha- already going to happen, it's inevitable because the human race just evolves all the time. Be competitive. Take that on and be the best person or do the best product that you can do. And that makes it everything way better. And don't be an asshole and work with your colleagues. Like, oh, you mate, I'm fucking struggling. How do we work? How do we do this? You know, how do I help you? How do I send you business? How do I send you business? Yeah, exactly. And like humans fail sometimes. And there's days that I do my job terribly, you know, and there's days that, that my colleagues and the people that I get to work with like, hey, that was a fucking terrible decision. Don't ever do that again. And then I'm like, yeah, well, what, how do we improve on that? And there's days where I'll sit down with other restaurant owners like Josh Pape or James or, you know, like I talk to Jenna and Robbie a lot, like I said before, and I'm like, I don't know what to do here. What would you do? Or like Steven and Miki from Dashi, like I'll go on vent about my night and they'll tell me about their night and that's how you get better. You know, you don't take it personally and be like, okay, let's get better. I was at Dashi last night. Love those guys. Yeah, those guys are fucking awesome. My, my weakest link in my hospitality like skill set is sake. And listening to Layla and Miki talk about sake is truly inspiring. It was so fun because we were there and then Sean Layton came by and had a drink with us. And then Romano from uh, Pepino's oh, came by. He was there the night. I, I went to Dashi on the Thursday or Friday night. Yeah. Thursday night after Valentine's Day. Yeah. Thursday, the day before Valentine's Day. And Romano was on fire. Yeah. Shots of makers. It's his birthday yeah. next Thursday. And there's a big party at Dashi restaurant. We should all go. He, always, he loves My makers. just quivered. Yeah, I, was like, I was like, but I love that guy. Yeah, he's a so. fucking solid dude. Yeah. I, got a lot of time for, I got a lot of time for that company. Yeah, they're, they're doing good stuff. It was my buddy Dan's uh, last shift. He was last, last shift as sous chef at uh, Dachi, So Oh, he's done? Yeah, he was moving on. So he's going to be a carpenter now. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's a nice segue from cooking yeah. to carpentry. Still doing something with your hands, I guess. Exactly. So I think we're going to end off on a couple things. This is, this is kind of a question I ask everyone that comes on, but it's going to be a little bit different today because I'm going to ask you, because you obviously don't work in hospitals, so I'm going to ask you something different. So I'm going to start with you, James. If, obviously, I kind of did this with you with the scale. You already I did. Yeah. I think I did. I'm not going to answer the restaurant one. Huh? Is no. it what restaurant I'd work in? No. I'm sure he tweaked it. He must have tweaked it. I hope so. No. <laughs> Otherwise, just go read the article and go like, see. Of course I tweaked it. So I, I get worried about you. You know, you look pretty hungover. <laughs> I like how you said dusty. I like that I'm word kidding. dusty. Dusty, yeah. Dusty today. Wait, mate, you're pretty fucking dusty, eh? What's the question? <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some more wine, TH? <laughs> if you could work in any... Uh, BC winery outside of Tyler's outside of Tyler's. I honestly, that it's a really tough question. I thought they'd ask me this. So I've kind of been preparing mentally today. Mm-hmm. Um, I love blue mountain. I, I don't know Matt. I know Christy pretty well, not pretty well, but I know Christy. Well, I would like to, they're very honest people. I like to say, I think their business is really smart as well. And as a business person or someone who inspires to be a business person, I would like to work with them based on their business side and the fact that each year their consistency is very consistent in, in their winemaking practices. And then I really love Jordan and Tyler and I think they're fucking crazy and do cool shit. And then I've just recently kind of made a connection with Aaron from Scout and his wine philosophy is really exciting. So they're the th- there's a three. Okay. Aaron's also a Saskatchewan guy. That's why I don't. Yeah, that's, so. that's that's why I love. I have, a, th- I have a thing Saskatchewan. for Saskatchewan people. Saskatchewan people, we're great people. Um, and then for you, Tyler, uh, what's the one thing that you would um, 
try to tell anyone to explore if they were coming to the Okanagan Valley outside of your business? What's the one thing that you would say, go check this out or meet this or go check that oh, out? Oh, I always just say, just go next. Go see Nate? Okay. And that, so we sell his beer at KT. And we, so we made a beer with him and it was painful to make the beer with him, but it was like, it was delicious and we sold a lot of it. And I, I love supporting Nate, but all the, the clientele will see it, it's detonate is the, is the beer, is the beer, but they call it detonate because it's a Japanese and Italian restaurant. <laughs> so the running, so the, run, so the running trick for us is, oh yeah, mate, where's the detonate? You know? Is there someone in the Okanagan Valley that you think is not getting enough love? Okay. Uh, Probably Detonate. Yeah. <laughs> so hilarious. He, we got to tell the Sharpie story. <laughs> the Sharpie story blew my mind. What's that? You don't know, like so. He's a van. He's big truck. I was talking to him and his wife last time I was down there, and so his branding is very simple. It's just pretty much a bomb blowing up a, a keg, I think, and it says Detonate. His name's Nate Detonate, and so. It, I was like, oh, I love that stencil on that van. It's amazing. And his wife, that's not a stencil. That was me with a Sharpie. She Sharpied this huge life-size detonate logo with a bomb exploding on the side of his, yeah, dead yeah. serious. And then I saw that vehicle parked in Cologne. I gave him a text. And I'm like, hey, do you need a hand? He was like, no, it just it stopped running. It stopped running. <laughs> so the end of that van was uh, somewhere in Cologne. Yeah, the van's now no longer, but it, it was pretty, it, it looks amazing. It took on a new life. And it, and even like what's interesting about Detonate, his first tasting room was about the size of a kitchen table and it was about 40 Celsius in there. And Nate is not a super chatty sales guy. And so it's great to walk in there and just see this awkward interaction of silence, <laughs> people sweating and just drinking delicious you beer. A, you guys have a weird relationship. The one thing I was, I was thinking about earlier is like, see, you're a lawyer. Like, a, I, like, if you graduated, I graduated, you from, I graduated from law school, you did, but you I did never the became a lawyer. You did the, you did the full law lawyer. school? Yeah. And you, you decided not to do it at the end? Yeah, I, it was like 2005 to 2008, and I did a... I was his hockey career. I was a summer associate in, uh, in Wall Street in 2007, so that's like right before everything blew up, obviously. Like in New York City? Yeah, so I worked for a Wall Street law firm and sort of saw what that world was like. And uh, When did you I, do the, the writing program in Colorado? That was, I did like a... Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. You don't Are want you, to be Jordan Belfort? No, uh, what's that? Wolf of Wall Street? You don't want to be him? No. Yeah. No, no, I've seen that movie, though. I miss D a lot D of that. DH is the most interesting life. No, I'm just saying, I just think it's super fascinating that you would go that far and do all he that. Was a, and he was yeah. drafted in NHL. He was a hockey player. And then went to... Well, work. everyone from Saskatchewan is, so these <laughs> guys, for them, it's just like, yeah. obviously... Then, you know, then, like, I played play. goalie, actually. That was a weird one. <laughs> yeah, I played goalie. Who'd you get drafted by? Uh, St. Louis. Nice. What position? A defenseman. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Big and guy then, like yourself. Absolutely. Then went to law Crush school. Him on the boards. And then went to like creative writing school. Then went to some farming school in the States. And then went and moved to the Okanagan and picked grapes and m made a winery. Amazing. Yeah. Where can we find your wines here in Vancouver if anybody's looking to try? Uh, outside Kitt's, of Kit's Wine Cellar. Kit's Wine Cellar has it? Yeah. Okay. So Kit's Wine Cellar, check out that. That's up on 4th, just at 4th and Vine. Um, and restaurants? Uh, Balbay, Kisitanto. Wildebeest is a huge supporter of Wildebeest has it. Shambar, McKenzie Room. McKenzie Room. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Cody. Nice work. Yeah. Yeah. If you're looking to try some of Tyler's wines, obviously check out those places. Obviously check out Kisitanto and Balbay if you've never been before. Balbay, an awesome Chinese brasserie, and Kisitanto, a Japanese Italian restaurant, both located in Chinatown. James is always there. So if you see him, uh, say hello, give him a handshake. Uh, he loves that. Oh, yeah, it's nice and clammy. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, gentlemen, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to probably seeing you're probably going to be here for Top Drop, am I assuming? Uh, Maybe? I'm not participating, but not I participating. usually just uh, show up to have Come a class. Awesome. So, yes. um, and as always, uh, do find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Luminary, wherever you find your podcasts. You can check our website, midrangevancouver.com. And also, this episode is now going to be on scoutmagazine.ca. Yes. So do check out Scout. Yes. Hello, new listeners. Scoutmagazine.ca is the website. Do check out that if you're looking for anything food and culture related here in Vancouver. And uh, we will find you another day. Thank you so much. Have a good day.